Welcome to SGS News Today, 6th of March, 1909. William H. Taft was sworn into the office on March 4th, taking over for Theodore Roosevelt, becoming the 27th President of the United States of America. On March 1st, Robert Peary and a crew of more than 20 men set off from Ellesmere Island in his final push for the North Pole. And finally, the Simplified Spelling Board has released a list of 3,300 words to be reformed. That was the news as it was this week in 1909, March the 6th, which means this could only be yesteryear's news today. I'm Johnny. And I'm Shane. And welcome. And welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so, me? do you want to do, do the entrance again? <laughs> don't have it yeah. ready. Well then, <laughs> I don't think we need an entrance. No, no, uh, I think everybody who will read it it's fine yeah it's it I, all i do is read out what's on our description on itunes there which is that we uh we take stories from the past and we do a new week every year or sorry a new year and a new week every week <laughs> to put it right <laughs> yeah so we are doing the entrance well yeah. <laughs> it's described better on our itunes though, yeah, rather yeah. just reading it out i think mainly um we should say uh follow us on twitter and facebook and stuff or ynt podcast on twitter yesteryear's news today on facebook and we're on stitcher and itunes you'll probably listen on one of them but yeah. subscribe and rate and review yes please, please rate and review and anybody who has reviewed there's a good few up on the american itunes and that's awesome thank you yeah thank you very much i saw there was two up on our uh, irish uk one and they both gave us five stars, so to them, thank you very much. So yeah, you have a couple, a couple of stories for 1909? Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you? I have. Can we just start with something? Because like, you know, being 1909, I just want to mention like a few important things from just a, a yeah, general yeah, sort of, because we like Lincoln on this. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. And this is uh, something really cool from 1909 that relates to the modern day. It's also kind of like Lincoln is the first president on mars have you oh yeah. you, have, are you aware of this um well he is in adventure time well uh, yeah okay <laughs> that's my only knowledge children's of cartoons aside though <laughs> that's my um, only knowledge of it sorry a lincoln penny from uh. 1909 is used on the mars curiosity rover to calibrate one of their cameras the camera called the the mars hand lens imager or the mali uh, instrument so yeah and it's used as a calibration for that oh wow so that's kind of cool like it's just the right way for um i get like <laughs> i think they just wanted to put the lincoln penny onto it yeah no, right. i think it was like the curiosity rover was meant to be launched in 2009 i think oh, and okay, that had yeah. been the what do you call it the centennial yeah. of lincoln's of the lincoln penny yeah and the Lincoln Penny was a centennial of Lincoln's birth. And I think it was just yeah. for that reason they wanted it. Then it was postponed until 2011. And I think they just thought, ah, screw uh, it. Sure. We it's like honest. Lincoln. Yeah. But I think it is, like, as well as that, like, the, I think it's kind of a nod to that, you know, the geologist tradition of just placing a coin to another object. So as you have a good reference point. Everybody knows what size a penny is. So you have yeah, that yeah. reference point. Um, but I think, yeah, it has some functionality i guess like it's a very a penny is a very it's just, yeah it's fine very crafted piece of copper or whatever that I, yeah yeah but i just thought i think that's cool so that is cool and the curiosity rover that's a so because uh, you always hear that costed uh 2.5 billion but i guess it's 2.5 billion in one cent <laughs> <laughs> 
Although I imagine the Lincoln Penny from 1909 is actually worth quite a bit. It's probably worth a bit more, maybe. Or would it, like, I guess, probably not. It's probably worth, like, six dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Though I imagine the one, like, you know, people collect pennies, like, that must be the ultimate, the treasure, treasure trove, like, the Lincoln oh, yeah. Penny that was on but Mars. There is somebody out there applying for the Mars One mission. Purely so they can go out for a hike someday and get their hands on that penny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's another movie. That's a Nick Cage movie right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's his one ambition. Because his father, to bring it back to his dying father or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, there's cool. Like, do you know what that is? That's National Treasure 3 right there. Is there, is there not already Unless a... there is already one. I don't know. <laughs> I assume there is. <laughs> if there isn't a 3 already. It's the it, next National Treasure yeah, movie. Yeah, I'd say, like, you could even... I'd say people forgot those movies even existed. <laughs> like, you just reboot it straight away. Oh, yeah. Okay, I, I know you want to get to your an item, but I just wanted to, to get yeah, that one yeah. out there because it's this year. But there's one... This is a... I, I want to start off with this because it, this doesn't count for... This, this isn't from this week, but I just have to read it. Yeah, yeah. Like go this, for it. Ha- this is from the let's see, this I think it's the fifteenth of February. So breaking from the gimmick, so I just want to get this straight out away. Of first, okay, go yeah, for it. Yeah. So the show hasn't started yet. Okay, officially, um, we have not started yet. Right. This is an amazing article. Right. I'll just get to the heading first. Right. Fifteen-year-old uh, boy who was killed while dodging kisses. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So this is from the New York Times on the sixteenth of February, and oh, it's a long article, but. Uh, like the beginning just tells of uh, George Spencer Millet, uh, who was working as an office boy for uh, the MetLife Insurance Company, and so this happened the day after Valentine's Day, Ooh. on February fifteenth, nineteen oh nine, which also happened to be the the boy's fifteenth birthday. Fifteen on the fifteenth, <laughs> and this is the, like this isn't right. stabbed to death in. In office frolic. (laughs) 15-year-old boy struggling with with girls' stenographers killed on birthday fell on sharp ink eraser. The girls in his department of the Metropolitan Insurance Company were trying to kiss him. One arrested. (laughs) They were arrested. (laughs) Yeah. So it starts off like, and now there's a paragraph that sort of just gives my introduction I just gave, so I'll skip all that. Um, At once, the girls began to tease him. They told him that on such an occasion, he deserved a kiss. (laughs) And every one of them vowed that as soon as the office hours were over, she would kiss him once for every year he had lived. He laughingly declared that not a girl should get near him and was teased about it all day. At 4.30 o'clock, sorry, as 4.30 o'clock came and the day's work was over, the girls made a rush for him. They they, They tried to hem him in and he tried to break their line suddenly he reeled and fell crying as he did so i am stabbed (laughs) at once the joking stopped miss robbins when she saw what had happened ran to the boy's side and tried to help him she knelt by him but the sight of the blood was too much for her and she fainted (laughs) somebody hurried to the medical department of the company and called dr thomas h willard one of the staff examiners. He did what he could for Mullet, and it was he who telephoned for the ambulance. So, and in the later report, he was stabbed on the left side. Apparently, <laughs> this is from the article, as a yeah. result of skylarking in the office. 
He died. And he died in an ambulance on the way to New York Hospital. That's crazy. Yeah. But I am stuck. That's what you were asking me. Yeah. Of the, the I am shot story. That's really um, funny. You could tell that in a second just to... Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he was still alive in the ambulance and he was unable to tell authorities how he got his wounds. Um, and later, uh, this stenographer, Miss Gertrude Robbins, was arrested and charged with homicide. But she, yeah, she didn't go down for it because... <laughs> like it's clearly an accident or yeah, was yeah. it um but yeah so there was no evidence and she was just kept as a material witness oh, yeah. uh but the article suggests the whole incident was shrouded in secrecy with the first policeman noting the evasiveness of those in the office where at the time Miller was still dying on the floor however but yeah it was just an accident but <laughs> i guess they didn't want that going on in their building <laughs> yeah, like, yeah but this is really fun oh also like ink eraser like just for anyone and that that an ink eraser is a knife essentially it's what you yeah. scrape ink off with so okay like, yeah, yeah. It, it would definitely kill you like you see i'm sure you've seen it in old movies like, yeah yeah like, ink knife. but i have a picture of his uh headstone and this is actually this is from his headstone lost life by stab in falling on ink eraser, evading six young women trying to give him birthday kisses in office metropolitan life building. That's right from his headstone. Should put a picture of that up on the Facebook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, just so you know that I'm not. That is amazing. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah, he's buried in a New York cemetery. <laughs> so that's. Wow. But yeah, I like that because how much that sounds like a story you've told me. To... Yeah. Um, my. I suppose. For... My father-in-law's uncle, he was the eldest of them, he died somewhere in, I think it was probably the 30s. I have the full stories and uh, the full story somewhere. And it was one of those things is that it's such a great story that, as I was saying to you, just before we started recording, as you said, oh, when was that? You know, because <laughs> yeah, yeah. you said something about Skylarking that I was like, it'll probably be our first radio play. We're going to, I'm going to write a script based on it. Did it our first radio play. I think it'd be great. But so he was in the army in a barracks in somewhere in Ireland. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> and it was probably Sligo, I think. And he, there was one evening there just on the night watch. And there was a couple of them hanging around the barracks. And there was one lad cleaning his gun. And while he was cleaning his gun with, while it was still loaded, <laughs> you cannot know. And they were all kind of like standing around chatting, having a few cigarettes. And then this guy who is my father-in-law's uncle. Uh, he just the the gun went off, and in good old timey fashion, he declared, "I am shot." Uh, to which the reply by the other guys is, "You are skylarking," <laughs> which is the exact word he yeah. was using. And uh, subsequently, like there was all in that there's all sorts of stories of trying to find somebody to drive drive off to get a doctor and bring a doctor back and all this kind of stuff and he died and all this and it was all shredded in mystery for years and it's uh, my father-in-law has kind of dedicated like months and months of his life to like getting army records and f- trying oh, to find out the whole thing that. yeah yeah he so oh. he he's the man now. he knows the full story because when he right. said when he was growing up it was his uncle and it was the oldest brother that it was never really talked about and stuff like that so that it was always a very kind of like oh we don't talk about him because he was killed and they always he was always just told when he was growing up like as a kid oh he was killed he was a soldier and that was yeah, it yeah, yeah. Huh. and only when he got older 
then he kind of got a bit of the story out of somebody and then he started investigating himself and stuff and he found a full newspaper report and then there's a full there's an army report that he's gotten and he's gotten uh and this was probably this was long before you could just google it as well oh yeah you know he had to get them like he had to order them from the the army and go to archives and all that kind of stuff to get them uh it's all written like notes and stuff like that and uh he went and photocopied all the newspapers and stuff from the time and found the article and that it describes the full story of like with the words I am shot and you are skylarking <laughs> and stuff. But it's like there's not it's so much shrouded kinda there's still kinda real mystery to it of like that's the story. It's like, yeah, but why were you cleaning your gun if it was loaded and there's kinda like maybe there's a lot of theories that there might have been a rivalry over a girl or something. You never yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when we do write the script, we're going to add in loads of that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but is it? Because like the fact that it's not just the line skylarking, but in that moment, I am stabbed. I am, stabbed. <laughs> yeah, I am shot. You know? But I'm sure that's just like, is that just that, how people talk or is that just how journalists wrote? Things? I think that's how journalists wrote it. Is all. You know, I think that has to be it. But I like the idea of just doing it literally as a script. Oh yeah. yeah. I think it's hilarious. I am shot. It's like you are skylarking. <laughs> I, oh, wasn't it? I tell no lie. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and then like, you are skylarking, and he goes, "I tell no lie." <laughs> As he's dying, yeah. I tell no lie. <laughs> um, it's just, it's very like poetic, but very very poorly written. <laughs> first, probably like, not what he said at all. Yeah, yeah, but it's great. Like, As as I just said when I when I told you this story originally, I'm sure he was just like it was more like. What are you doing? You shot me, you bastard! Ah! <laughs> yeah, Not, yeah. I am shot. Like, I seriously <laughs> doubt just... it's as nobly presented as you think. You know, <laughs> just like yeah, like you couldn't make out a word of his utterance. Like that, they just yeah. like oh, it sounded like he said, "I, I am shot." Like he's probably just going, ah! Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just uh, crying out for his mother. I'd imagine, as any man would, have been shot in the chest. Yeah. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's that story really. Uh, I don't have any. I wasn't prepared to tell you that story, so I don't have full details. But that's off no, the top of my head. Um, you don't need the full details. At no, this no, point. we don't. Um, keeping with things like that, I want to point out that one very important thing that happened in 1909. Not again, as you were saying, you did your story from February. On yeah, on December 6th, 1909, a certain George uh, Levis was born. L-E-V-I-S and uh, he was born in Dublin and then he lived in Bantry and he currently lives in Baltimore in Maryland of the USA and he is still alive at okay. 105 years of age um, and or 106 years he will be this December will be his 106th birthday and he is a f- he is the uncle of my friend Sheldon who I used to work for and he's coming to visit Sheldon in the summer. So I'm on a mission that we're going to actually do a special episode where we sit down and have a talk with him and interview him and ask him about his 105 years of life. Yeah. Um, that's the plan. So he was born this year. Uh, so I thought it would be good to give him a shout out. So there's a shout out to George and to all his family in, in Ireland and the US if they're listening. How how locked down? Like, have you mentioned that to Sheldon? Or? Oh, yeah. Me and Sheldon have been talking okay, back and forth. Okay, cool. But, uh, so. So and she meant like he had an interest in life too. Like he was a oh yeah, he was a, a pilot and yeah. he worked in aviation engineering and stuff. And from what I've heard, I believe he worked in the Wright Brothers factory for a while and stuff like that. So oh cool, I'm sure he has some great stories. And he's was alive during World War One and World War Two, though not old enough to fight in World War One. 
Uh, or as the old Johnny Cash song goes, is, I was too young to fight in World War One and too old to fight in World War Two. <laughs> he could have been one of those guys. I don't know. I'm not too sure. I don't know the full details of what he did during World War Two, but he was a pilot anyway. Sure, um, find it all out. Come yeah, the interview. and I'd love to. We're hopefully gonna uh, if he makes it over in the summer. He's been over every summer the last couple of years, and he's a great guy. I've met him before. I met him when he was about ninety-seven. <laughs> you were saying he only he only had to give up his pilot's license recently. Very recently. That's crazy. Yeah, like very recently. Like um, when I first met him, probably about ten years ago, he had only recently been told he wasn't able to fly by himself anymore. He had to have a co-pilot from then on. Wow. Uh, and I don't think he's flying at the moment, but he probably still goes up in planes. Yeah, but he might necessarily be flying. He'll be he'll be co-piloting with a pilot like small. Yeah, yeah. Uh, planes badgering and them for not doing it right. Yeah, yeah. That's not how we did it in my day. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but he's a good guy, really sound guy, really healthy, able body. Like to me, I'd say he's as healthy as your average eighty-year-old, yeah, uh, yeah. and he's one hundred and five. So. Uh, he came uh, over last summer on uh, Queen Mary boat to London and then flew over to Dublin last summer all by himself that's crazy like to think like on the way here I got ran into on a bicycle by an old man who couldn't cycle that properly <laughs> like in here <laughs> this guy's like flying aeroplanes <laughs> exactly so hopefully we'll interview him in the summer and have a good time with him so uh, if any of his friends and family are listening just give them a shout out and say hi to George and we hope we get to talk to you in the summer have we mentioned we haven't mentioned flight too much on this like we should look up like because if he does hear it you don't want him to like think we're idiots for all the stuff we got wrong for <laughs> like, he's like i was there that's not what happened yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah. um so from here if he's born this year we have to like be very careful what we say about aviation from here on like <laughs> yeah exactly um so yeah i'm gonna do my first story for one specific reason, this story stood out for me. Also, you know, I love a good murder. But, mm-hmm. uh, so, from that point of view, it was a bit of a bizarre murder. But also, the killer, murderer, his surname was Collier. Ah, oh, good stuff. Which is my surname. So. <laughs> no, just, we just mentioned, just before we were recording this, you had mentioned you had this story. And there's a yeah. chance... That you possibly told me about this before. Years and years ago. I remember linking you on, like, the days of, like, MySpace or Bebo or something. Just, yeah. uh... A collier. We actually was collier was the murder, the murderer. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I think yeah. like, but who knows? We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Because it seemed really familiar to me when I read this, and I thought we had covered it already. And then I was like, no, but then why would it be in the paper? It's strange this year? that you could remember a random article I linked you to like six, seven years ago. <laughs> so it also shows how long we've kind of been doing this without <laughs> being a podcast, without recording it. I know. <laughs> um. Police captain killed while sitting at desk. Policeman declared to have deliberately slain superior officer. And this is in Washington on the 5th. Oh, wow. I don't think this is the one I sent you. That sounds brilliant. Captain W.H. Matthews of the 5th Police Precinct in this this city uh, was shot and killed while sitting at his desk in the station house tonight by policeman Collier. Without the slightest warning, Collier entered the station, went immediately into the captain's office, where he jerked from his pocket a revolver and fired five bullets into Matthew's body. Collier, it is said, had been uh, reprimanded by Captain Matthews for a breach of the rules and at this time time had angered him. The police say they know no other reason for Collier's actions. Collier was arrested. (laughs) That's the whole article. 
And this is, did you say, it sounds like this report is just the night of the murder. This is like fresh, hot off the yeah, press. Yeah, it was like, like fresh off the, this was the, from the 5th. Right. Um, And I read it from, in a paper that was uh, published the 6th. Right. Uh, So it was like, so it was like, this happened yesterday. Kind of. What was the, the reason, like the breach in? Just that he breached the rules and he'd been put on reprimand. But, and there's no, no they don't say what the rules he apparently no. preached were. Wow. Nothing. It's like, only speculate. Like shooting his friends? <laughs> like he just, it's, it's that old Collier temper you have to watch out for, you know. Um, he seemed to just go nuts. It's like he just got really, really angry at his captain for him. Break. Maybe he felt he hadn't broken the rules and the captain was like, you can't do that. Maybe he beat too many suspects. Because <laughs> like, you, you always hear stuff of like, you know, policemen in those days they they always got confessions with the uh, oh yeah by yeah, beating guys frauds. and all that kind of stuff and maybe he he just went too far you know <laughs> was this this was California um it was in Washington Washington yeah, yeah where it happened uh, it was in a Cali- it was in a San Francisco paper I remember right. actually but it was in Washington City that it happened oh, it was in DC I think so yeah yeah or is it Washington Washington State sorry, sorry Washington State sorry yeah yeah it just says Washington sorry. oh right okay. Right. But like five bullets, he shot him five times. Rather than just going in and like shooting once and then pegging it, actually just standing there, continuing to fire yeah, at somebody. Yeah, yeah. But that and that sounds like uh, like it sounds like the Collier guy could have been like somewhat just like maybe this captain was like just corrupt, like and you know maybe, he yeah, is. Yeah. Oh, like, that's great! It's just a mad story. I think it's brilliant. Like just there's so much more there, and the fact that they just go, yeah, they couldn't think of any other reason for his actions. He was arrested. Okay. Do you know I, anything? I cover up. No. And it not it's sentencing nothing. Nothing. Wow. Just disappeared. Swept it's, under the rug. Yeah, I guess it's crazy um, how you can find a story I, like that and then yeah. just. I was thinking about it when when I read it that yeah you were exactly what you're saying there maybe there's something that, like the the captain like was it that he like the classic kind of noir story was he going after the you know. He he was pretty sure that the media mogul guy had killed this girl, innocent girl, and he was going after him. The captain was like, "You got to get off the case, Collier. Yeah, you can't yeah, do it, yeah. Collier." Well, and then he and then Collier's like doing the case at home in his apartment, and then figures out that actually, the captain and this media mogul they went to college together and were best friends. And he's like, "They're in the same fraternity," and just realizes the captain covered it up and then goes and kills him. Yeah, it just sounds like it was literally LA confidential. I know exactly. <laughs> like, to the spoiler, but like him just shooting the captain at the end. Like, <laughs> that's good. Do you have anything about the president? Um, do you have, do something about the president? I know, I, like, I have stuff. I know it was uh, Roosevelt's last week in office. Oh yeah, okay. Well, I've all stuff on Taft. He took over after him. Yeah, what was it? March, what four? March 4th was, was the when, swap over. Yeah. yeah, so, well, no, that's all I just thought it was, because, you know, Roosevelt's, we, we've mentioned him quite a bit, like, the cool Roosevelt, uh, for the, the whole time we've been doing this, he He's was been, the sitting president, I think, from 03, 02, or something like that. Yeah, then he t- he was vice president, wasn't he? Was, he was, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, I just thought, like, on March 3rd, I like this, that Roosevelt's, it was, well, actually, it was one of his last, he had another bill that Taft went back on straight away but one of his last bills that he signed into law was creating a 600,000 acre Mount Olympus National Monument in Washington State oh yeah because um, like it's one of you don't hear much about Roosevelt in 
the fact that he was like one like the first uh, sort of green president like cause he was yeah, yeah. really into just conservation and you know he done loads of work for the national parks but he established five national parks and you know found or helped found the u.s forest service so like to me that's insanely interesting for somebody in 1909 yeah. <laughs> like a president actually having that concern uh, apparently he he protected 150 million acres of public land during his lifetime which that's incredible like and you know because of that there's a north dakota park named after him of course he quadrupled forest reserves while creating the, the nation's first 50 wildlife refuges and 18 national monuments among them the grand canyon and the, those five national parks that were mentioned that's pretty impressive. That is really impressive. <laughs> yeah, and he also wrote uh, 35 books concerning the natural world. And he authored other policies that grew to public domain and all that. After he left office this week, he uh, went on. He took part in many scientific expeditions, as well as big game hunting as well, <laughs> which seems yeah, people yeah. think, consider... But he, had, he had a great reputation for being real, kind of like outdoorsy and athletic and kind of fit and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. He loved hunting, though. Oh, yeah. I, you know, that was the, the time to get away with. And also, like, that doesn't really diminish any... Because people... Like, you know that thing about the teddy bear getting its name from Theodore oh, yeah. Roosevelt because he refused to club to death a baby bear? Oh, yeah. And anytime like, that story comes up, people are oh, yeah, but did you know that after that the bear was killed anyway? And uh, it, it's like, okay, yeah, well, they were bear hunting. Like, nobody... <laughs> yeah. And, like, we're, okay, so... The, the other side, the other way they could do that is they could go killing bears and not eat them. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, them eat, like, they're hunting bears and they eat game. That's, that's, yeah. the, that's the good way to do hunt. Like, people who go out hunting, like, just for the sake of hunting and not kill, not eating what you kill, like, you're being an asshole. Like, <laughs> yeah. eating it's, that's the, like, yeah, of course, he should have ate. That's, that's good. That's, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't not, know about not, like you're not respecting your kill then. He did like he did take part in like big game hunting in like Africa and that, and I can't get behind that because that's like no. killing a rhino. Yeah, you're not going to eat it. So <laughs> no, it's just killing for sport. Yeah, it's different. But I don't think like you can't condemn him just like based on that. Uh, that doesn't outweigh all the the good work. But yeah, no, I just thought that was a, a really cool for like the last bill that he signed in that was what you know like i didn't really care about anything else oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> other than i thought that was an interesting thing to sign in before yeah. you like, leave because it's also it's clearly like he like at the time nobody cared about that stuff so it makes sense he, he'd be like oh nobody else is probably it's gonna be a long time before there's gonna be somebody who cares about this stuff now so i might i'll get oh, yeah. it done i'll get as done as much as i can yeah okay so i i found an article in it was basically in on March 6th and it was talking about just people's reactions to what they think Taft would be like as a president. And so then I decided to see what he was like as a president. Um, so it was uh, William H. Taft took over the office of the president on the 4th of March and he was the 27th president. Um, have been, uh, taken over from office from Theodore Roosevelt who served from September 1901 to uh, March 4th, 1909. And you're thinking, hang on, that's really long term. But he took over. Um, he was vice president, I think. Oh, I can't remember the name of the name. Well, the terms weren't entered. Like, yeah, they weren't the same at do, all. Um, yeah, yeah. Because much later. as we get on to that, yeah, there wasn't the whole seven-year term thing, wasn't there? And it was 
basically that Roosevelt kind of decided, ah, it's about time I'd step down and it's good for the American people to have some change. Almost like a good dictator. <laughs> he sort of goes like, oh, well. So he kind of handpicked who'd replace him. And he decided to pick uh, Taft, who at the time was like his best friend, was his, uh, described as many people as like his right-hand man and that kind of stuff mm. for many years. And Taft was a lawyer by trade. And so he, there was lots of incidences where um, he'd send Taft off to like, oh, sort those guys out, they're misbehaving, whether they're senators not going, doing votes in the Senate the way he wanted them to be done, that kind of stuff. So in a lot of ways, he was kind of like a lobbyist. As, yeah, yeah. As what it'd be now, instead of lobbying for like a big tobacco company or something like that, or an oil company, he was like the president's kind of fixer guy who got things done for him and that kind of stuff. He was that kind of guy. But the thing with Taft is he really, really wasn't into politics. He was much more into the law and upholding the constitution and relying on the law and that kind of stuff. So then when he he really didn't want to go ahead for the nomination uh, and the whole Republican Party were like, yeah, let's go for Taft. He's Roosevelt's man, all that kind of stuff. And um, But he didn't want to, he really hated politics and all the rubbish about it. And he, yeah, didn't, yeah. he didn't, he was a bit reluctant about the idea of being in the limelight and that kind of stuff of fame and that kind of thing. But uh, his wife convinced him in the end because she wanted to live the glamorous life of a first lady in the White House. And so that was kind of what was kind of the final thing that made him go, okay, I'll do it, fine, you know, for for you. Then, sadly, she suffered a stroke when he was only weeks into being oh. president. And she was kind of confined to her room and her chair and a bed and kind of stuff and didn't get to lead, lead the glamorous life she wanted as first lady of touring, of first lady and running charities, all that kind of stuff that first ladies do. And she, re- so she was very kind of like, oh, well, it was kind of... He part of her condition and part of his being in the limelight, he really, really hated. He was constantly criticized in the media, all this kind of stuff. He was a very overweight man. Yeah. And like the newspaper was always going about like he got constantly compared to what we were just saying there, Roosevelt being the outdoorsy, active, kind of athletic oh, guy. He was just a he was complete opposite of him. And at first when he went into office, he was considered like I have a quote from a paper there and they say, um the French press believe Taft's policies will in a general way be a continuance of those of Mr. Roosevelt and they described him as preeminently Republican <laughs> so they believed oh yeah sure it'll be just more of the same and yeah, everyone yeah. seemed like he was just going to be more of the same that he was kind of Roosevelt's kind of right hand guy yeah, yeah, yeah. just continue what he did but he was very hands off he delegated a lot like he kind of let his cabinet just kind of do whatever they want if they're like hey I want to pass in this new law or I want to bringing this new illustration he was very hands-off and was like yeah do whatever you want you know (laughs) he because he got really depressed while in office and he put on 100 he was historians estimated he put on 100 pounds weight while in office but he's already been made fun of for being he was already fat they reckon by the time he was at the end of his he did four years and by the end of the four years he they reckon he weighed up to 350 pounds oh he's marilyn brando size yeah yeah I like um, this Marilyn Brando is what you say now like, <laughs> to describe some, yeah, the Marilyn Brando size. Oh, yeah. Like he was, he was a big, big guy, carried a lot of weight and he got criticized in the media a lot for it. And that made him really depressed. And it was kind of one of those, cla- like it was like the classic, uh, like fat bastard thing. He's like, I'm sad because I eat and I'm eat be- I eat because I'm sad. Yeah. And there was that kind of thing of like he got 
depressed for being called fat and though he ate while he was depressed and so he just kind of just put on weight and put on weight and he became really like he really believed that like being president his job was to uphold the laws of the constitution and being a lawyer he was very kind of clinical about it very yeah, kind of yeah. precise and strict about it but then he was a terrible procrastinator like he took ages to kind of really like come to decisions and things like that and stuff when he came to the end of it he got oh yeah sorry i forgot about that he famously for being fat got stuck in his bathtub <laughs> and the, the white house staff had to like pry him out of the bath and, like it was not a uh Easy affair. Did put it that way? Did the media get wind of this at the yeah, time? They did, yeah. Oh god, Kevin uh, Smith, as bad as he feels about the too fat to fly incident, yeah. like yeah. this—that's not in compared to no. a president having to be pulled out of the bathtub. Pro- the words were pried out of the bath. Wow. Uh, so he installed a very large, custom-sized bath after this. There's like this. I saw a picture of it. Um, of this, they uh, watched this documentary about him. And it was like, there's just like, there's like these three workmen in basically a massive jacuzzi. <laughs> that was his custom-sized bath he got made for himself. And oh, yes. um, is that is that still there? Is that I wonder is that no? Full? I, I don't. I think because the thing I was watching was a History Channel thing, and the the all the historians they're interviewing were all like, oh, it's described that it was nearly like a swimming pool. Like, so it's not there anymore. Like they're talking about yeah. it very much in the past tense. I think it was taken out by the next president after him, which was Woodrow Wilson. It's a shame, like that'd be because that'd be a great, that'd be a focal point of any tour. Like, oh, if you went on a tour in the White House, I'd love to yeah. see. Like, all Taft's, I care about Taft's fat man bath, <laughs> Taft's fat man bathroom, and Lincoln's ghost, <laughs> and and the secret uh, room from Mars Attacks where Kennedy took all the women. Yeah. <laughs> His uh, his shag room. <laughs> still, the fat man's bathtub is yeah, still for some awesome. reason I don't know what. Like it should be the other way around. <laughs> I know, yeah. So yeah, he was considered a weak leader by a lot of people, and as I say, delegating a lot of responsibilities and that kind of stuff. As a result of him kind of being this very hands-off delegation kind of guy, it was perceived, and he was criticised hugely by then Roosevelt, who had been his friend, who mm. thought to be. His right-hand man. So a lot of the idea of the Republican Party at the time when he went into office was that he would be just continue doing what Roosevelt did. And then he got criticized. Roosevelt called him out publicly. Yeah. I've been like, you're not doing a good job. You're, um, but to be fair, it sounds like he wasn't no, at all. No. Like, it's, it was described, Roosevelt called him out saying he ended up doing, undoing a lot of like the programs uh, that Roosevelt had done. Because Roosevelt was described as being really like Mr. Progression, Mr. Yeah, Change. Yeah. He was very kind of aggressive hands-on like roosevelt was the sort of guy like you know picked up a shovel and told you how to dig the hole rather than saying dig me a hole and that was just kind of that was yeah, just the way yeah. he was and then this guy was just like Meh, you could dig a hole if you like kind of you know and that was just the difference of them so when roosevelt got so angry at the way he was running that he decided to run against taft in the nominations in 1912 uh for the republican party representative for yeah, president. yeah, yeah. And Taft only ran against him because he hated being the president. He didn't want to do it anymore. But he only ran against him to try and go for re-election because Roosevelt had cr- criticised him so much that he was just like, I have to stand up for myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he went for it. And obviously, it ended their friendship and started this huge rivalry between them, calling each other out in public. Roosevelt, in loads of his speeches, often referred to him as President Fathead and Mr. Dimwit <laughs> and stuff like this. <laughs> there was one incident recorded where Taft got so beaten down by Roosevelt 
at a debate that he actually started crying. That's a man you want to lead your country. <laughs> yeah. Man crying. Ro- Ro- but Roosevelt's bullheaded approach went against him. And the Republicans chose not yeah. to let him win the nomination. And Taft won the the Republicans' party's represent, representation to go for president again because they liked that he was more conservative and a bit more cautious and wasn't so bullheaded and that kind of stuff. So Roosevelt joined, and I meant to look this up and I totally forgot to, he joined the Bull Moose Party and went up for presidential election for the Bull Moose Party. Yeah. And they got their rivalry got so much, like out of hand that then Woodrow Wilson was able to just sneak yeah. in as the Democratic candidate and then won. <laughs> in the election votes, Taft still came in third, way behind Roosevelt. And he, with only eight electoral votes, <laughs> which is like the collected points and stuff. So he was like, way, like embarrassingly way behind yeah, them all. Yeah. So he really wasn't like that much. In reality, historians have now looked at him in retrospect and actually, although he was really conservative and cautious, he actually continued loads of Roosevelt's programs, contrary to what Roosevelt pointed him out to doing in public. He actually upheld loads of them really well. And he brought in loads of new regulations for big businesses and monopolies and stuff and try and make fairer wages for the poor man and yeah, like yeah. for the actual working people and all that kind of stuff. And uh, in that in that sense, he actually did way more than Roosevelt ever did. Um, in specifically in that area that he tried to regulate monopolies and all this kind of stuff and did it really successfully one thing he really wanted to do was he wanted to be always wanted to be chief justice and after, a few years after yeah a few years after he got a lot better went and lost loads of weight uh, and he became chief, chief justice of the United States where he described as having excelled in that position because right. then he was upholding the law he was a judge he was kind of you know he's chief well, justice he was doing what he that's what he seemed to have been doing when he was president too like yeah he, he was just... trying to do that job as president it didn't work and then once he got that job then he was the man again and he got like all his confidence back lost weight became a new man <laughs> but despite whatever historians believe now like if he was only doing one job when he was president that's a bad president there's exactly. no there's no two ways about it. Like, no, that's, no, that's the point. Yeah, yeah. But it was. But no, they were saying it. He wasn't as bad as Roosevelt claimed it to be. You know, no, but things. there's. I don't think there's any president, like any yeah. two feuding parties, are never going to be as bad. Yeah. So as he, the other claims. He only did one four-year term, and then was succeeded by Woodrow Wilson in 1913. And that's President Taft. And that's not much different than like even now, like you were talking about. Yeah. Their feud was what left the doors open for somebody else. Yeah. But like that, in with the exception, right? Recently in America, like Obama had it was a freight train. Like he was, yeah, destined to win anyway. But so much recently in America, it's not that anybody's won the presidency; it's that the other side lost it. Yeah. Like it's always what the other side do to lose rather than yeah. what the winner does to win. Yeah, yeah. You have to yeah. be like like bush senior they reckon like the reason he lost it the wasn't re-elected is because during the debates there was a few times when him and clinton he checked his watch a few times and i reckon yeah. that was the big point where like he's actually checking his watch during the debate because it gives a sign that you know you don't want to be here and oh, everybody yeah. just lost faith in him and apparently that's <laughs> they put that down that's probably why he lost like in the polls he just dropped yeah, yeah. after that well i'll go with, uh do you want to go with something very big here the, yeah yeah um, go for it Get out of the way. The uh the race for the polls. So yeah, um so on March the first of this month, Robert Peary and his crew of more than twenty let left Ellesmere Island, and that was in their final push for the North Pole. And like you heard in the news reel, 
Yeah, so um, you familiar with that story at all? No, I'm not actually. And I remember uh, before we started doing this podcast, I was like, oh, I want to read. I want to get loads of stuff about guys going for the North Pole and all those kind of lunatics. And then I totally forgot about it until this moment. <laughs> or until you did the headlines. Um, uh, oh, well, this will be your... Uh, this the la- was will have been the last opportunity. I know. Like, yeah. I realized um, that when I was researching the year. Yeah. Well. Oh. Well. What happened on this day? Well, not this day, but this week was they left Ellesmere Island, which is part of. Well, it's also called uh, Baffin Island. I think. I think it could, or it could be Buffin. I'm pretty sure it's Baffin Island, and that's part of the Canadian Arctic Archipelago, and it's uh, north of mainland Canada. And it consists of 94 major islands. Wow. And a lot of minor... Or 94 major islands. Give a guess at how many minor islands they are. Um, 350. Close. 36,469. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, now that, that sounds like... That some, sounds, some of them are tufts of grass sticking out exactly of the water. Yeah, yeah. yeah but which actually just makes it like that you have to think how tough is that to go through like uh, yeah. you have to sail through those islands but yeah and this um this area this uh, geographically it'd be part of or greenland would be part of it that's just to give you an idea of how big this oh, yeah. entire section is uh the franklin expedition the search for the northwest passage they had to go through there um, I mean, we could find an excuse. To, now that we've mentioned them, we could then go on and do an episode about the, the Franklin expedition as an excuse to like do yeah, more. We could do it as a special episode. Yeah. Have you ever? That's the the Franklin expedition are the ones. Remember that book I lent you, The Terror? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what that's. But that, they're the book I never read. Cause yeah, it's, it's really really thick. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, about four inches thick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good. It's what Dan Simmons. He's another Stephen King in that regard of just oh, yeah. writing. But it's a fictional account anyway. I think I only gave it to you as a reference point for something you were writing yeah. at the time. But anyway, so, but yeah, that, that's the Northwest Passage. We, we can talk about them another time. But um, this is Robert Peary, and he was just looking for the North Pole. But to give some background on him, he was born in Pennsylvania in 1856 to uh, a Charles Peary and Mary Peary. And his father died uh, pretty, not like not, he was only four when his dad died. And so Peary's mother was left to raise him and took him uh, to portland maine uh, which i think is stephen king territory we haven't <laughs> referenced <laughs> haven't referenced him in a while i think it's no. been it's been 20 seconds yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, that is funny because yeah like that's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> it's like three degrees of stephen king because we've done it like i think in the first four episodes there's somehow a stephen king i know <laughs> but we were doing a silence earlier for background silence and i started going tommy maybe that's it maybe it was just subconsciously in my head now because this is a creepy silence so the move to maine and uh, and he went to college there, uh, not far from home. But and this is, this is odd. She was a weird woman. Oh yeah. And I guess this maybe, uh, this I'd say this plays a huge part in why he went on to become what he became, because uh, she, she raised him as a girl. Whoa. Yeah. Well, it's uh, like they don't specifically say that in any any anything I've read about it, at least. But it does say she used to like dress him in girls clothes like 
and you know he got an awful time in school because of it, like bullied really hard and, i imagine so yeah and and especially like being dressed like a girl just like just this is still victorian times this is you know you've seen victorian dresses girls wore like i can just imagine yeah. he was forced to wear them i could be exaggerating that but he definitely right. was like she put him in women's clothes and she was weird anyway we'll, we'll get to that but like i was thinking like maybe it was a boy named sue scenario like maybe she was trying to toughen him up but maybe, yeah. but i don't think so oh you gonna say so i mentioned uh and i totally forgot to do it last week but it was uh 1907 was john wayne was born i never mentioned that his middle name was marion um, and i just thought of it there as you said a uh, boy named sue sorry <laughs> um so yeah but i i think she she was probably just a weirdo but yeah so and anyway just so we'll skip a bit ahead in 1886 was when he made his first expedition to the arctic and this wasn't anything huge like and he didn't really he didn't get as far as he wanted to but it wasn't a complete failure he wasn't going for the pole or anything yet he was just exploring oh yeah um he he intended to cross Greenland by dog sled uh, and just kind of go on his own way. He kind of laid out this route himself. He, he took six months leave from the Navy and was given $500 funds by his mother for supplies. So she wasn't all bad. She was supporting yeah. this. But he had to go buy a nice summer dress <laughs> with the money. And he wanted to do it alone, but a Danish official named Christian Mygaard convinced him that it, he would die if he went out alone pretty much so they traveled together and they made it nearly a hundred miles uh, east before they had to turn back because they were short on food oh, wow. it sounds like the, the it sounds like a failure but it was still the the second farthest like penetration of greenland anybody had made it so like for your first expedition that's good going that is very good and it's pretty much where he learned like he learned just so much on that expedition that he could yeah. he knew he could do do more and it was pretty much here that he decided like he was going to find a route to the north pole because the north pole at this point that's it like the north pole's well even that like it's a theory it's just it's yeah it's not like it's not a candy striped pole yeah the so many so. hannah barbera cartoons have lied to us over the years <laughs> and santa claus movies yeah and like people have been trying to reach it for like not just decades but centuries and yeah like, beyond like the the vikings like actually tried to reach it like not just <laughs> didn't just accidentally like come across there but they knew the, the idea of the north pole that was a concept to them and they yeah. planned to get to it and, and never could in 1882 the furthest north reached by man was still 400 miles off the north pole oh uh, and that's what, like, like so close it's still so far in away. terms of in arctic in terms of the arctic expeditions that's just far as well because we we're talking like when we we're talking about the donner party we're, you're still talking yeah. in hundreds of miles and that's so close to them but for the arc for how long it takes you to because you're breaking through ice like and it's this like ever-changing landscape like it's going to be if you an expedition there in 1888 is going to be on different a different land than it is going to be like 10 years later when you go back to it um so it's it's just like an impossible task like it's like why would (laughs) why would you want to do this but yeah so um peary had like several expeditions to the arctic not necessarily to try and reach the pole now but just between 1886 and 97 he just had loads of expeditions to the arctic that were kind of just to get a lay of the land almost yeah um in 1887 uh the u.s navy ordered him to survey likely routes for a proposed canal 
like a shipping route uh, to connect the Caribbean Sea and therefore the Atlantic Ocean with the Pacific Ocean. Actually, and yeah, and I'm, I could be way off on this, but I think that proposed canal to connect those two seas is actually currently under construction, like today. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, like it was abandoned like decades ago and then like in like 09 or something. They started it again. They're like, oh, let's do that again. Yeah, it's like a hundred years after. Well, more. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's still probably a almost unfeasible task. Like even now, because <laughs> that's the thing. Like, as much as we've, as far as we've come, like when you're dealing with like building crap in the sea, like it's about as hard as it was a hundred yeah, years ago. As... Uh, but um, yeah, but like that's not really important trip. But it was because of this that he met this guy Matthew Henson. He went to buy supplies, particularly a sun hat, ladies' sun hat or male sun hat. I don't know. But he went to <laughs> buy a sun hat, and he met this Henson guy. He was just a, a clerk working in the store, and he was a, a young black man. And he learned that he'd uh, spent five years as a cabin boy, so he had like loads of experience. Oh yeah. I think this Henson guy was only like 20, 21 at this point. So uh, yeah, yeah. Peary just hired him there on the spot as his assistant. This uh, Matthew Henson, he was the first, you know, the first African-American explorer. And he went on to take part in seven voyages with Peary over a 20 year period. And wow. so, yeah, and but between he's like, you know, he had loads of expeditions around this time. And between expeditions, he met this woman, uh, Josephine, and married in 1888. And she was, uh, you know, speaking about times being different and all that. She was like a new woman. A new woman was like sort of the feminist of the time. Yeah. Uh, like she's just like very modern and you know well educated. She was a linguistic or linguist. She was a linguist at the Smithsonian Institute, and she had taken the role after her father died. But she resigned uh, after they married because I think I'm pretty sure they just moved. I don't know if it was a kid. He wasn't like pulling her out of her job or anything. Oh yeah. But uh, and this comes back to Peary's mother being an absolute just mental case. She uh, accompanied them on their honeymoon. Apparently, <laughs> his mother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and just like wouldn't wouldn't leave them alone. She's at their side for the entire thing, even going to his fair. When they came back, she moved her stuff into their apartment. Oh. Yeah, and so Josephine just like pulled him aside and said, "Like I'm leaving. I'm like, like it's one of us. Like me and, or your mother. Yeah, and just don't, you know, being a modern woman, she was like having none of it. And just it, it's not a test. Like trust me. Like you just have to make a decision. Yeah, and yeah. so yeah, and he went with the the wife. Very good. I, yeah, and and she ended up she she accompanied him on all these well not all of them but on a lot of expeditions. And she actually did get, she gave birth to their daughter while on one, wow. uh, daughter Marie Peary. And she published a, a book too of her own experience, experiences just called My Arctic Journal. They had a, another child later on and, she, you know, she couldn't, she had a family by this point, she couldn't travel. Oh yeah. She was on loads of expeditions, but it is, this is just a weird fact about it. After she had the second child, she couldn't join him and... For the first 20 years of their marriage, Peary would only spend three years with his wife and family. In total? Yeah. Whoa. So that, that's messed up. Now, I think that might, that's what I read. I From the other stuff I've read about and just how many expeditions she went on, I'm not sure that's true. Because these expeditions would have lasted for years. Yeah, yeah. I think him and his wife would have only spent three years 
in the family home i think oh, might okay. be more yeah, yeah. it's just the way it's written or described yeah yeah I, well i think it's just wrong i think it's just pl- uh, wrong i think it's just not yeah, true yeah. i think there's ele- an element of true in it. i think they've just it's it's written that he only spent three years with his family i think it's, it's him and the wife only spent three years in the family home and maybe yeah. 10 of those years after she had the the, the boy the, she stopped coming so yeah him he it might have been I mean, I, like he definitely didn't spend long at home, but I just wanted oh, yeah. to mention that because uh, yeah, because she accompanied on um, on loads, but years later when she stopped traveling with him, uh, he he actually had had a long term relationship with an Inuit woman uh, <laughs> whose name uh, there's no way I can pronounce her name. Yeah, I don't think anybody judge me for that one. Does you have it phonetically written there? Um, I don't even know how I'd write it phonetically to be honest. <laughs> Um, I think I do have it written phonetically. I st- still, that just still doesn't make sense. But and you know, estimated that she would have been about fourteen, uh, and she bore him at least two children too, including a son who wasn't identified until the eighties, as well, in nineteen eighties. Yeah, so like yeah, that's interesting. I'm, I feel like I might be going a bit too into his personal life. So <laughs> I'll just get back to the actual race for the polls. In eighteen ninety one, he returned to Greenland to take this new route and traveling further north. Because at this point, he, he sort of believed Greenland to be a much bigger mass of land than he thought before. And it oh, might yeah. just be a direct route to the pole. And it was on this trip that, he'd meet, he, that he had uh, Frederick Cook. Yeah. This, and this guy plays into the story. So Frederick Cook, he was a, a very young man. He's like 23, I think. And he was a medical student. I think. Oh, no, he's probably a doctor at this point. But he just left medical school. Right, apparently he, he paid his way through medical school by selling milk. That's always mentioned whenever you read. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love that in old articles. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> sold milk. Yeah. It's like that. Frederick Cook, who paid his way through medical school by selling milk. And he had a, he had a hard time this, this year. Like, he just left school, but also lost his wife and child through complications of childbirth. Uh, and apparently was in a fierce state of depression as one would be and just was spending his nights reading of arctic expeditions like it really yeah. sounds like you know dreaming of just abandoning everything at home yeah, and just all life and yeah and you know and then it was then one night he came across an ad on craigslist i don't know <laughs> <laughs> um, he came across an advert of uh, a man looking for a uh, a skilled surgeon for his expedition to the Arctic. Oh yeah, and of course it was Peary, an advert for Peary. So he jumped at the opportunity and joined the expedition, and that left Brooklyn in 1891 in a seal hunting ship called the SS Kite. It's not as cool as all. We've had a few cool like warships mentioned before. Oh, they yeah, all had yeah. cool names. Yeah, I don't like that one. <laughs> but this guy's. Yeah, and this is a this was a big expedition. This is one of the ones his wife would join him on. But Peary was injured on the trip. Uh, oh, right. yeah, the, as it was like ramming through ice, one of the iron tillers uh, just spun and took Peary's legs from underneath and broke both kneecaps. Apparently, took him oh. out completely. So they they built a camp uh, in northern Greenland and lived with Inuits for six months. Yeah, and apparently, like Cook. Frederick Cook and Peary like got on really well. Like this, their first time sort of bonding, and like they went full mountain man during this trip. Like and like, oh yeah, yeah, they learned because they started. They apparently they all had a cabin. Like the, all the the crew and 
the wife was there like so can she yeah. live with all these brooding men and Inuits <laughs> apparently she was really unhappy with like the Inuit women because oh, they yeah. walk around naked like and they weren't oh, hygienic yeah. and stuff like but <laughs> that aside but uh, Cook and Peary like just started hanging out with the Inuits and like learning all these skills like building igloos and stuff which might like knowledge that's gonna help them yeah but after the trip I, well actually sorry i'm skipping ahead because i'm so focused on the relationship between Puri and cook in in may after after six months uh they set out for the pole recovered again. enough to go and yeah yeah now they set out for the pole you see what they do here they, there's this it's called it's well it, i'm sure this was practice i'm pretty sure the franklin or would have practiced the had they not died but i think this was a common thing but it's called the puri system where you pretty yeah. much set out with a skeleton crew on sled oh like yeah. say you've got 12 men at this point and once you've kind of you've got a particular role and once you've done all you can do with that you're sent back oh yeah you, and you lose a far. man yeah you lose a man every couple of miles like so you've you're down to like three by the end just so it's less yeah. weight to take unless you need it oh, yeah. safe supplies so and they tried that and after 500 miles we're forced to turn back i'm not sure how close to where to the pole for this one but they made it 500 miles from where they were from That's their camp not, yeah yeah right. so they're, they're going close like but in this journey like it wasn't a complete waste because he charted a channel of water that was previously undiscovered and he taught formed the northern boundary of greenland so yeah. and that, uh, that's a big discovery and it was called Peary's Channel yeah but oddly years afterwards anybody that went back couldn't find it didn't exist yeah oh wow so it's like he had to find something to fund his next one like uh, that's okay. the idea anyway maybe he was just mistaken and yeah. thought he'd found it but like and it doesn't exist like it definitely doesn't exist like yeah, for yeah. certain today but i can like, i can kind of understand like a little white lie just to oh yeah because he knew you made it so close <laughs> yeah, yeah but after the expedition was finished and you know he after, just because of that discovery alone like he was somewhat famous when he came back and he started this big lecture tour and you know he's pretty popular and cook asked him you know because they had both like learned so much with the inuits he asked him if he could publish Oh, yeah. his own account of like just the living with the inuits and yeah and all that and cook wouldn't let him oh really? yeah he just wanted a hall of fame for himself like oh. so uh cook resigned there and then and here yeah that begins the sort of the, a war brewing oh, between yeah. the two <laughs> okay. but you know the things continued he continued on his expeditions and so like not long he returned again in 1893 and this is why i i told you at the start about her the wife uh doing it with him and that whole thing about him only spending three, three years yeah again did this in 18 we're at 1893 now and this was the expedition where she gives birth to the first first child so she's been on loads it sounds like neither of them were at home for the first half of their marriage <laughs> like you can't just blame the guy there like she was with him once she had kids and she couldn't come anymore he was just like well See it. <laughs> yeah, your problem, not mine. <laughs> Shouldn't um, have gotten pregnant. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so this is a really rough expedition when they actually, well, they ran out of food while they were sledding. Um, when they went for that, that the dash for the pole, and like they yeah. definitely would have died because like it was really bad weather. They got trapped, and I just came across a bunch of wild oxen. Oh, really? Which like 
that never happens. <laughs> like that's ridiculously lucky. Yeah, and they were able to feed themselves and made their way back. But and that apparently was one of the last, one or one of the worst uh, expeditions he'd been on, just like luck wise and weather. But at the very end of it, well, not I don't know at what point, but when they were as they were giving up and maybe returning, they found two giant meteorites and were able to bring them back to New York. Wow. to the museum of natural history and that just like saved because this would have ruined him the fit this one failing because oh, they yeah. found nothing and wasted so much and money kind of and so this completely saved him and you know because of it like all these all these rich businessmen formed the uh, peary arctic club and uh-huh. essentially to finance his further trips so, so he's sorry i'm gonna yeah. interrupt you a little bit the what defines a giant meteor or meteorite you mean size-wise? Yeah, do you know? I was, well, I don't know the actual size of them specific. I've just seen pictures and like uh, maybe the size of a of a small car. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, they're huge. Like they're really big, and they like drag these back. Um. Well, I think to they, base camp or whatever. Like from see, I think this was on their way back, so actually wasn't they? They just came across them by chance, so it wasn't actually yeah. too far from from base camp. So they were able to. They probably sailed back somewhere to like. Greenland, Greenland hired a few men, came back. Like I'm sure, oh, okay, there yeah. was an entire individual trip in itself just to yeah, get yeah. these. But oh yeah, I'm sure it was still. No, it could be. Maybe I'm exaggerating a bit. But like they were dead. Like I've seen pictures of them. They're large. Like, cra- yeah, they're, they're big. Yeah, they're big. Big. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're not like, just large meteorite could be like. It, yeah. You know, exactly. They were twelve inches across. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like how long's a piece of string? <laughs> yeah. Uh, or when someone like, oh, geez, it was a really big elephant. It's like, I've never seen a small elephant before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, they were big, big. I think that's <laughs> geologists <laughs> refer to them as but big, big. Oh, they weren't just big. They were big, big. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that was uh, semi-success because of that. And in 1898, I'm rushing through now. But yeah, 1898, he left again. Uh, and this one was the big, well what they thought was this was he he said in the press he was going to lay siege to the north pole <laughs> that, that sounds pretty uh <laughs> but uh, he <laughs> and this is the one this is the first time the wife didn't accompany him and the reason well this was kind of a rushed one again because he got wind that there was a norwegian team with this like great big iron ship that was making the same journey and he just wanted to beat them to it because he was sure they were gonna be the ones and so he went during the winter and it was a really harsh winter and even henson the uh the young guy the guy who was his right hand man uh like he found it almost impossible to do and he nearly quit uh and so only 17 days in they made camp and Peary had frostbite and had his toes oh. amputated. They ended up staying here for four years. Like this time, <laughs> not really making any progress. Um, sounds like Donner Party almost. But they weren't even trapped. Like they were still trying to. Yeah. Like they're they're completely out of choice. Could turn back at any time. Like, <laughs> uh, well, not turn back at any time, but they could figure out a route to get back. It was yeah. <laughs> but so yeah, again he he failed. Oh. <laughs> and so now he decides that what the problem is well well first he decides to build a special ship that could cut the ice better and stuff yeah like yeah pretty much what he figures the problem is now they're traveling all the way they're setting sail and 
they've started doing it all in one journey and now what he wants to do is just to travel to the arctic first then put yeah. all the supplies then gather supplies and also sort have of, a couple of ships bring supplies kind yeah of. yeah and sort of leave from and that's why we heard in the newsreel that leaving from that island like this sort of yeah. he, he thinks that's get as far in from like in greenland as possible say and just leave from there um well kind of that but yeah and as well as that just the ship was the big problem just having something that could just he just needs a beast of a yoke to kind yeah. of, um but and so yeah meanwhile cook frederick cook who's you know a few years since he's left now but he was hired by another crew uh as a surgeon and jumped at the opportunity again but this was for an antarctic expedition so ah. this is the south pole for yeah, yeah. people that don't know and they had a rough time there they got trapped like between the ice oh. like the ship was just frozen in and had loads oh, yeah, of problems yeah. And while they were trapped, he used to just take out a sled and just go roaming by himself, like, and learn the land, like, just... He seemed to be really into, like, learning the survival skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it sounds, at this point, it sounds like he's just, he's he's doing a rocky, like, he's practicing for something, like, bigger. Um, And, like, we could go into, like, the South, actually, yeah, I said last chance but we can south poles will still come up yeah, yeah so yeah we can still we will go into the south poles at some point too so we'll we won't go too much into what he's doing now but so yeah jump ahead we're at about 1905 now peary christens his new ship the roosevelt named, ah. named after the president who left this week um and you know he hired he had a, 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 a i think a new mainly new crew a new captain anyway this um bob yeah. barclett who i think is also the name of a wrestler from that era so bob barclett yeah it's hopefully they're the same guy it's uh, the sort of name you give a dog butler <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's bob barclett <laughs> um, yeah and so this yeah like said so like this the plan to the ship would carry him to the edge of the arctic eliminating the the 100 mile travel over the ice so that's yeah so you could just cut through all of that and then they could do the peary system from there and yeah and so this time around this is like he's getting old now i think he's like pushing 50 at this point so this is like so for this one yeah new captain new crew bar henson the right hand man still there he hires a bunch of eskimos as the drivers for the journey um so last push failed again just <laughs> uh-huh. so but yet the the norwegians still haven't done it either and they're trying to get there um at one point a, a storm trapped them in the igloos for six days and it was only really when they like got out of here to fi- they figured out they were only 180 miles off the pole this time oh, before they had no. to turn around because they just didn't have enough supplies to keep going or yeah yeah the same thing like you i suppose the plan is you go okay we can do it in say 60 days so you bring 70 days worth of supplies you get to day 40 and you're like we need to turn back yeah yeah well it's too far away and it's not even that like you got to think about it no matter how much supplies it doesn't you could bring infinite amount of supplies yeah once the ice the ice starts to move and melt once the seasons start to change like That's you, it. you only have a fixed amount of time yeah to do it. like your way back will lead you somewhere else like so yeah and or, it can or it won't be there yeah, yeah yeah like it's, it's you could have impassable ice mountains you suddenly have to get around yeah, yeah. 
um there's certain places like you would go to another place and if if and rest there and come back another way like but yeah. it's just going to make things far more complicated and then you need to bring supplies to last you you know to, if you're going to take a short yeah, yeah it's just it's mental <laughs> yeah. but uh meanwhile cook was uh you know the south pole thing they'd gotten out of that alive and cook had traveled to alaska and it's quite different than you know alaska it's not well it's still kind of the middle of nowhere yeah, yeah. but um this was just to he wanted to scale Mount McKinley uh, because nobody had before, and so he figured I might do something else. <laughs> well, essentially, he it sounds like he's been very quiet about stuff, but I guess he wanted to like get money together for his own expeditions. Yeah, and he needed to. He had nothing on his record, like he hadn't. He'd only been a surgeon and all these other expeditions, yeah, yeah. so he needed something. So he done this, and after twelve days, returned and announced he'd reached the summit. So there was this dinner then, this is just as a side note, a few like a few months after he scaled McKinley, there was a dinner to sort of celebrate both men oh, yeah. so, under separate <laughs> yeah. challenges. And it was like first time they were in a room together. Like, and oh, no. I don't like, uh, there's no real, I couldn't find anything if they got into a fist fight or anything. Bur- Bob Barker, uh, ref, their wrestling <laughs> match at the head of the dinner. <laughs> but... I do find it funny that the boat just ended up at the same dinner again. Okay. <laughs> but so, like the skip, we're getting closer to now. Uh, nineteen or yeah, nineteen oh eight. Sorry, in around July, uh, Peary's ship, the Roosevelt, pulled out of the harbor one last time. Again, another last attempt. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's fifty two at this point. This has to be the last. So he sailed to Arctic Canada and. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, I forgot. What they they left New York in it. What did I say? July. Yeah. Yeah. He stopped off at Roosevelt's gaff. <laughs> With the boat or yeah. the ship. Yeah. That's the way I read. Yeah, it sounds like they they or I, I guess they stopped offshore and he yeah. But uh, and or maybe like got a smaller boat to take him to. I don't know where because it says he stopped at Roosevelt's home. I assumed his home was the White House though. <laughs> Yeah, they must have made his home home. Yeah, I guess he just, his ranch that he he actually owned. But I just find that funny that ship named after you and then stop off. (laughs) I just love how Roosevelt pops up in every story as well. Every every week we've mentioned him at least once. Yeah, and even stuff we haven't, like I was reading about the Winchester home, the wife of the the gun Winchester, and she she was mental and built a house to protect her from ghosts and we might get this story eventually it's crazy like she built this oh, yeah. mystery house but I'm on, i was just reading about it and then at one point president roosevelt called to see it and she wouldn't let him in she wouldn't answer the door to the president but, <laughs> <laughs> but just like roosevelt was just he just popped up to say hello in yeah. our in our history <laughs> yeah it's great but anyway so he stopped off to see roosevelt before leaving and i'm not sure at what point Cook learns this, or sorry, that Peary learns this, but Cook is actually in Arctic Canada at the moment. Ah, okay. Now, he's only gone on a hunting trip with a friend called Arthur Bradley, who's some millionaire, or billionaire by today's standards. Yeah. And somewhere along the line, Peary just meets this other guy who's out a big mil- another millionaire who has out who's been hunting whales in the arctic oh yeah like he just me- i don't know how they just meet like you're just oh you're just sailing your big ship through the arctic and you just meet this guy <laughs> well, 
I get that. That makes sense. There probably wasn't very many. <laughs> yeah, just the odds of you passing them. Like, it's, not, yeah. it's not like you're in town, like, and you just bump into me in Tesco doing my shopping, like. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not quite the same. <laughs> but and when he meets this mil- this millionaire had been on had seen. He's seen Cook, so what's oh, okay. the chances that they've all... <laughs> yeah, He's like, yeah. oh yeah, I saw Cook, like... And he tells him that Cook's actually... He was on a hunting trip, but stayed on and hired uh, a few natives and was going to go for the pole. Oh, yeah. And... <laughs> Sorry, just the phrase, go for the pole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so he left this guy. He, he had a bunch of, like, documents. He had this chest full of stuff he wanted this guy to bring back to New York or wherever for him. Yeah. And this guy wanted, he now want, he was like, oh, can I get a lift for Chi to Piri's guys? And Piri said, only, only on the condition that you hand over Cook's chest. <laughs> and then he just buried it somewhere in the Arctic. Oh, no. <laughs> <gasps> uh, <laughs> yeah. And so then this brings us up to now. They, they're on Ellesmere Island. The they leave there on March 1st, so the start of this week. And that's the last dash for the poll. So the same as all the other times they do the Peary system. Sent all the support parties back and they're 130 miles off the pole at this point. They're getting very close and it's just Peary, Henson and I think, yeah, three Inuits at this point, maybe four. And they rested for the day and made a final dash for the poles five days later they're three miles away whoa closer than ever obviously and apparently like it's in all their journals and all historians just describe this as just Peary being really weird this night okay and they camp up for one last night and Peary woke up early and got on his sled it was a really calm morning apparently yeah and he just done a couple of laps for 10 miles around assuring pretty much that because he couldn't pinpoint exactly where the pole was oh okay, this yeah. assured he playing with his compass basically yeah. he yeah he, he had a few drives for a 10 mile radius so he crossed the pole at one of them he'd have had to he, that pretty much ensured if he oh, if okay, he yeah. if he if he went 10 miles and it was only three miles away he had to have yeah, pass yeah. It at some point and yeah he didn't none of the others joined him on it like and he decided he was doing it himself yeah and yeah and that was it so he reached the pole yeah and so yeah they got back to their ship it takes four months just to get to wherever i don't know what but wherever they sent the telegram from for from to say they had yeah. done it it takes four months for that so and yeah and they they've reached the pole wow. done it they get a reply the cook had made the same announcement just a few days earlier oh no <laughs> <way>. <laughs> And he took longer to get back to send the telegram, but he had actually beat them a year ago. What? It it, it, you know, it took four months to get back to send a telegram essentially, but yeah. it just took a, it took Cook longer just to send a telegram. He had actually completed the journey a year ago. As Peary was burying Cook's stuff in the Arctic, Cook was had already beaten it. Oh no way! Yeah, just because he he went. He just went with Inuits. He didn't have like his biggest ship and stuff, so it just yeah, actually yeah. took took him longer to get the word that he had so done. He it. just badassed it, basically. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, or at least he claimed. He claimed. That's exactly it. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Because yeah. as soon as did he really climb the mountain? To yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 
the well cook um cook was quite nice about it when he was awarded when he he came home and he was awarded the why don't yeah but whenever they had dinners for him and stuff yeah he like said that you know they'd both done it they were both the first they were he wasn't the first man but they were both the first men to do it yeah period and like that at all so he called into question whether (laughs) uh, cook done it and he wanted an investigation and he wanted cook to present all his charts and stuff yeah but half of them were buried in the arctic (laughs) (laughs) by cook or by period but apparently yeah they did they did investigate it and people started to question whether whether cook had done anything but then it also came out the guy i don't know would it be a, a sherpa or whoever had yeah. climbed mount mckinley with him came out and said that they didn't reach anywhere near the summit oh really that they got about halfway up and there was a, a sort of a tip of the mountain that sort of looked like a summit and that's where the photo was taken ah, okay. and so even now whether cook meditated the north pole or not like once that like it came out that he definitely lied about mckinley yeah that's nobody believed him and it sort of went to peary as being the first yeah wow i I was kind of expecting as you were saying it there that he got up in the morning like peary got up in the morning went the three miles and there's just a flag saying like f you <laughs> cook you know <laughs> or he found cook there frozen to death like right on the pole yeah. or something and then he'd get investiga- investigated for murder. <laughs> it's kind, it's kind of gone down the cook lied. Yeah, but he he okay. He definitely lied about the mountain. But I can understand like again that thing. He of, needed it to get notification in the first yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. I can understand a white lie because again, it's no different than what we talked about with Perry. With like the, Perry did the it with the canal or yeah. the channel. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Which actually, and that comes out because Perry came out accused cook of lying and called for an investigation that actually led to committees then investigating Peary. of course uh, and didn't they question why he went and done the last three miles by himself and then looked at his records and stuff and they reckoned that morning when what they were three miles off that they probably that they might have been far far more and he lied to the men about it oh okay and then so and then when he done that journey by himself was just like oh yeah we we would have done it like yeah but yeah the, he was the one in control of keeping oh, okay he, yeah. he had the entire inuit crew at that point i mean they'd have been better they'd have known the land more than him but they weren't in first keeping stuff keeping t- the records act, right? yeah, yeah and what mileage you are they wouldn't they'd all be going on instinct and just their own sort of training yeah yeah um, so it sounds like he might have hired that crew for that purpose to lie. Mm. It sounds like neither of them might have done it. <laughs> yeah, but the, so historically, Peary done is, it is the first. Yeah, uh, yeah, and Cook lied. Yeah, so it's an interesting story, but like it sounds, but who knows? Like Cook might might have been the first. Yeah. They both could have done it. Both of them might have been lying. Like there's absolutely. Do you think he went by himself because he wanted to lay siege to the North Pole? <laughs> He'd just been, become sexually attracted to the <laughs> yeah. North Pole, to that white and red striped pole. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> and it's a good story. Now, again, there's so much to that story that I could be way because most of that's like my opinion on it. Like yeah, okay. My yeah. uneducated opinion. <laughs> like, I'm I'm sure that's the way it goes. Like, maybe there's a lot more evidence to say that Peary definitely done it. I'm sure there is. Wait, but from what you read, that's yeah, from what I know about it, it, that's kind of. 
Yeah, I think it could go other like I think like any of those things. There's people that probably believe period on it, and people that believe Cook yeah. wasn't actually a liar after all. You, you know, always get, people, you'll always get people on both sides or either side of the fence. Yeah, so. and it's weird because people kind of like choose this. Like they've got no real connection to it. It's a hundred year old story, and people sort of choose somebody to sort of get behind and support. Yeah, yeah. But have anything you want to go with her? Yeah, I've 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 one little story that I think you'll like because I know. I, I know how we tend to, uh, <laughs> uh, we always find humor in the stories of people suffering, especially when it's something they do to themselves. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> and uh, so uh, in San Francisco on March 5th, a headline in the San Francisco call that took my attention was, two failed sui- suicide attempts in one month. Herbert uh, Eggert of Tacoma, who shot himself in the head on the steamer, queen as the vessel was entering the port on february 10th and who was just recovering from the effect of his self-inflicted wound again attempted suicide by jumping into the bay from broadway wharf today he was seen to leap into the water and was rescued unconscious but in no danger of death he still wears a bandage over his wound and chose uh, for the scene of his second attempt at self-destruction the dock where his he his first or where he first was taken from uh the queen apparently in dying condition less than a month ago he is despondent over uh, domestic troubles and declares he will yet end his life (laughs) (laughs) this is one of those little ones i thought you'd find really funny it's like a declaration like yeah. he released he but released a statement this morning <laughs> um, he's like he's like Robert Peary yeah I'll die yet yeah. oh I'm sorry uh, it was April 6th 1909 oh yes they did it quite it. quickly like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I guess like we said you have that finite amount of time that you can yeah. um, but sorry anyway this guy Herbert Eggert just I just love this kind of I kind of like how he he felt he had to Kind of, he went up to the wharf where he, like, at least was near where the boat had been that he yeah, tried the yeah, first yeah. time. You know what I mean? Because kind of like, he felt he really felt like he had unfinished business yeah, by the same yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, do you think, that is that a common thing, do you think, with suicide? Maybe, yeah. Because I usually hear about people that succeed. That you've decided, like, that's where you're going to die. Yeah, yeah. And that if you don't succeed, you want to go back to the same place kind of thing. That's very interesting. Oh, you hardly were able to find if he no. went for a third. No, I couldn't find more. Oh. Um, I, hope, you know, I hope his life just got together like, and he didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah, yeah. I love that they just described it. He's despondent over domestic troubles and declares he will yet end his life. It's <laughs> <laughs> very odd. Well, wasn't it? You had a... The guy, that tried, the, the guy who shot himself three times in the head. Wait, yeah, with a revolver. Yeah, just kind of you're like, oh well now. <laughs> was it a revolver actually? <laughs> so. I don't know. I have to. Yeah, it was. I, I think. Yeah, that's... but it was clearly like you mean this guy was shot three times in the head and somebody put a gun in his hand. Like, yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> up there. Like, it's yeah. up there. What you were skylarking? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're just odd. Kind of. Have another uh, one from or do you no, have? No, that's it. That's all I've got for 1909. There's just something else funny that happened this week, or not really funny. It's just. It's just worth noting that on March 6th, uh, the Simplified Spelling Board released its list of 3,300 words that should be reformed. 
<laughs> yeah. So, um, for those who don't know, the Simplified Spelling Board was an American organization created in 1906 to pretty much reform uh, the spelling of the English language to make it simpler and easier to learn. Because <laughs> uh, they didn't like E's, <laughs> essentially. They didn't like what, like the letter E? Oh, well, that was just my joke. Oh, <laughs> a, a very poor joke. No, I didn't know what you said. I didn't quite hear what oh, you said. Oh, right, sorry. sorry. Colour is the big one that's spelled differently. What else? Oh, yeah, we, we spell it C-O-L-O-U-R. The right way? Yeah. <laughs> we spell it the right <laughs> way. <laughs> Other parts of the word, they spell it colour. Yeah. So, like, oh, what way do you spell it? The right way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, well, there... The so, idea... is this where all these things started? Yeah, like, the idea for this was just to... Now, and I don't have a, a lot of information on this at all. Did re... Like, English was going to probably become the global language or at least that's what they thought yeah. at the time so it's just to make it simpler and easier to learn for people that were just going to be introduced to it like yeah which is you know, like and that makes sense like i can understand that but i'm not sure if that's actually i, I don't really know if that was i like I, I still don't understand that logic like why did they reckon it was going to become was it just like cockiness of like <laughs> oh, yeah. the time like what in in terms of like how how many countries actually speak English now? Like, it's still about the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, well, they and, and they reckon there's loads of there loads of inconsistencies essentially with the yeah. English language. Which, <laughs> like, I mean, we're all speaking fine. Like, well, I can barely speak English. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I just yeah, you, I, you, you get by. I just thought it was funny that that even popped up. Like. Yeah. Three ta- like I I couldn't find a list of all the words. I, was, I thought you were gonna read me a couple of sample words there. No, no, they they've only got the general. Well, I did look them up, and I didn't even I didn't even copy them down for notes because oh, yeah. they weren't. I was hoping for like really interesting ones that haven't changed. Yeah. It could be funny if like rainbow popped up there or something like that. <laughs> Some, like completely different yeah, spelling. Yeah. Of it. But there was none. Of, there was nothing really funny. It was just. <laughs> it wasn't made for good radio. Well, another t- <laughs> Queen Alexandra had a, had a cold this week. <laughs> <laughs> that was in the news. Was this it? was in the news. In the news, uh, on March fourth, a severe cold was the heading. It's ridiculous that this would be reported like this, and it's this is in the Telegraph. And all it is is Queen Alexandra, who has been indisposed since her visit to Berlin, is now suffering from a severe cold. And King Edward will hold tomorrow's court alone. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) I love all these little bits. This is a good one. Uh, This is from the Bruce Herald, uh, 4th of March, 1909 as well. Uh, (laughs) The Biter's Bitten. That's what it's called. So all Paris is laughing over the... <laughs> sorry. All Paris is laughing at a pair of confidence tricksters which has been ingeniously brought about by one of their victims. That was a very, That's a very weird written <laughs> that's sentence. That's a really odd sentence. Um, oh, sorry. You know, it's the scan. There's a word. All Paris is laughing over the discomfiture of a pair of confidence strictures. I think that's what... Anyway, that part doesn't matter. Uh, An old gentleman... An old gentleman... Gentleman (laughs) named Mallory was last seen 
or was was last year relieved of 70 pounds by the plausible strangers he did not see them again until a fortnight ago when he noticed them hanging about uh, a railway station uh, he then went home and quickly prepared a purse in which he placed some gunpowder a cartridge <laughs> <laughs> a cartridge of mercury uh, the latter was so arranged as to explode directly when the purse was opened Thus armed, the old gentleman went back. The usual <laughs> pretense of showing confidence was gone, tr- was gone true, and the two rogues disappeared with the prepared purse. When one tried to open it, he was so badly burnt that he fell to the ground, and the police had to take him to the prison hospital. <laughs> Good lad. Um. Do you- you looking up other stuff do you have? No, no, oh, nothing. Thanks. Sorry, I thought I might have something. Oh, all right. I know it doesn't matter. Left loads. Just thought maybe you'd found something good. Yeah. Um, yeah, this one you like because we we liked, or at least before we liked our lighthouse talk. On, I moved ever so slightly, and the sound changed so much. Oh yeah. Yeah, uh, this is a good lighthouse one because we we've had we had some lighthouse stuff and in nineteen oh one a whole. Nine episodes yeah, ago, yeah. but uh, I do love lighthouse. <laughs> well, this is a good one. Captain of wrecked steamer <laughs> charges two men connected with signal light. Awful, awful grammar of the time. Captain of wrecked steamer charges two men connected with signal light were drunk. <laughs> <laughs> that sentence Let's makes throw in the word drunk. <laughs> yeah, it makes no it. sense, but. Uh, so it's something I come across in a lot of the papers. Yeah. Kind of, oh, okay. Charges of drunkenness and neglect of duty were made against two men of the lighthouse at Point Arguello today by Captain Shklansky of the steamship Sebel Marston, when which was wrecked off surf on the night of January twelfth, when two members of the crew lost their lives. Uh, the mariner charges also that his second mate, Jacob Nelson, reported sounding in- incorrectly, which he said partially caused the loss of the vessel. So it wasn't just the two drunk guys in the lighthouse. Um, the accusations were made during the investigation of the wrecking of the steamer, which was begun before the federal inspectors today. Captain Shlansky declared the night was very hazy and he was led astray by the station light at surf, which he mistook for the point Arguella signal because no fog signals were being sounded at the lighthouse to set him right. Engineer MacDonald? <gasps> Arthur MacDonald. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of... Yeah, Arthur MacDonald was the lighthouse keeper. Oh, he was? Yeah. yeah. That's really funny. Uh, so he's back in another lighthouse? <laughs> yeah. Well, he was an engineer on the ship, I think. Ah. But still, you know, it's, a it's marine, probably him. Yeah. Marine job. It's uh, engineer McDonald uh, corroborated his captain's story and said the operator at the surf had told him that no fog signal had been sounded during the night. The hearing was continued until Nelson, who is now at sea, shall return to give evidence. That's not as funny as it was at the start, but uh, yeah, you shouldn't be getting drunk if you're in, if you're a man <laughs> no. in a lighthouse. No, no. Well, you know, if you're uh, if you're busy all day cutting wood for business, <laughs> you might feel you need to drink something. This is another this the New York Herald, fifth of March. To a woman, there are two tragedies: 
One is not getting the man she loves. The other is getting him. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's it. Like, it's, just, it's just one of those little things to put at the end. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Just filling page space. Yeah, well, there's, you know, there's a bunch of stuff with it, like different oh, phrases yeah. and stuff, but I only pick out the good right. ones. That's really uh, good. <laughs> yeah, I like it. It's good. And um, this is from. There's a bunch of little items that I have here that are all from the LA Herald. The yeah. LA Herald seems to come up quite a lot on this. It's yeah, the yeah. easiest to find. Same with the San Francisco Call as well. I got yeah. a lot of stories from there. Okay, this is funny. Like, uh, a little boy has been elected captain of Carlisle Indian football team. <laughs> Appropriately to his name, he tips the scale at 190 pounds <laughs> and has the momentum of a young locomotive in action. That's... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's quite a lot for a kid. This is weird because I should have looked this up to see what, uh, con- like what what they're basing this on. But this is printers' punishments. The headline: It is it is some comfort to newspaper people generally that China has a paper which has been in existence for since fourteen thousand years. It issues two editions, and they looks one for the nobility and brown paper one for the plain people. If a printer made an error in the copy, it was punishable by debt. But in done, but in those days, there were better writers than there than there are now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was intentional. When it is deemed a uh, sufficient punishment for the typo to have to read some of the stuff given him, given to him, I assume they meant. That's pretty funny. That's really funny. I assume you meant fourteen hundred years, not fourteen thousand. Oh, did I say thousand? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> and that's it. That's well. There's one more actually. A Worcester uh, at at Worcester, Mass. A man's wife has disappeared with a bankroll of fourteen hundred dollars, and he immediately offered a, an award of fifteen dollars for her apprehension. An Iowa exchange wonders which he wanted more: the money or the woman. <laughs> <laughs> I love all the little opinions and little things you get in the papers. Uh, People just can't write like that anymore. You can't. But yeah, well, that's 1909. <laughs> On that depressing note. <laughs> was that that depressing? I, know. I thought that was quite was funny. A, just the way you did it, you were like, um, no, that was 1909. <laughs> that was just, it was a perpetual silence, was the yeah. other option. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just let it fade out at that, and that's the episode yeah. over. Subscribe to us on iTunes, rate us, and tune in to us every Friday for more of yesteryear's news today, where the news is better late than never.